0: for your support it's time for another edition of fighting for the faith tuesday august 19th 2014 Sermon cage fight today on a very difficult text. for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically and help you to think critically and help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of crazy things being said out there. We take the time to slow down, stop. Open up our Bibles and then check to see if, well, what people are saying actually squares with what God's Word says when you look at it in context. Now, one of the things we do here from time to time, it's been a while since we've done this regularly. We haven't, in fact, we haven't done it regularly in a long time. But uh, one of the things we do here is we have these things called sermon cage fights. That's right. Sermon cage fights. And the idea behind a sermon cage fight is you have the ability to hear kind of side by side two pastors preaching on the exact same text so that you can see, well, how one biffs it and the other handles it correctly. This is a big deal here at Fighting for the Faith. In fact, if you're a listener Uh, and you've been listening for any length of time, then you're aware that kind of the primary thing that we do here is, you know, it's by way of comparison. And, uh, and so that's what we are doing here. We're, we're doing some comparing work. And today we've got two people who've never before appeared here at fighting for the faith on our sermon cage fights. So, it's going to be two newbies, two people you've probably never heard before, ever, and it's going to highlight a text that is really actually very difficult to rightly handle. I would say the parable of the Good Samaritan from the uh, the Gospel of Luke is not an easy one to correctly unpack, especially if you're going to understand the Bible according to the way Scripture tells us to understand it, and that's properly distinguishing the purpose of the law and the gospel. But in order to, well, um, in order to, how do I put this, rightly understand what's going on in the parable of the Good Samaritan, it requires just a little bit more. And what I mean by that is, is that when we talk about sound biblical uh, theology, and not confusing justification—justification justification being our right standing before God—with sanctification, our progress in good works or holiness or things like that. Then you have to you have to have two other categories that are kind of subcategories of law and gospel, and they are these categories: corum deo and corum mundo. And Coram Deo basically means before God, and Coram Mundo means before the world. Now, if you you want, you can kind of think of it as two different ways in which righteousness is described in Scripture. Coram Deo, our righteousness before God, is 100% received gift. We receive a right standing before God passively by what Christ has done, when God gives it to us. So this means that salvation is 100% gift. Our right standing before God is by grace alone, through faith alone, by Christ's work alone. And so our right standing before God is, uh, Coram Deo, is 100% gift, by faith, period. You can't add any works to it. If you add works to it, then... Yeah, you, you you don't have a right standing before God quorum deo, okay? Which is actually kind of a, a redundancy. But as as Christians, we are not forgiven so that we can live in slavery to sin. No, we are set free from slavery to sin, death, and the devil. And now that we have been declared righteous, we have a right standing before God. We are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. Now we are free to love and serve our neighbors. So this second type of righteousness, if you would, uh, the Corum mundo type, is, is how we live our lives out before our neighbor, in serving our neighbor, in our vocation, in loving and serving him with good works. These do not not contribute to our justification. Our justification is completely won by Christ. So quorum Deo, it's all gift. And we are now set free before our neighbor to, well, to love and serve them quorum mundo, before the world. So kind of think of it in these two categories. And What's fascinating about the the parable of the good Samaritan is the expert in the law who uh well asked Jesus, you know, kind of the trick question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He is basically confusing law and gospel, but he's confusing his his corum mundo, uh good works. With his quorum deo, uh, you know, right standing before God, he's confusing and mixing these two kinds of righteousness. And so the idea is salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, by Christ's work alone, it's all gift, it's all from God, it's, we, we receive it, we don't earn it. And then we are now set free to do good works. And yes, there's progress and holiness and things like that. You can talk about it in, in that sense. And so you know, now we go and serve our neighbors, but our salvation is not hinged does not hinge on that. Our salvation is only by what Christ has done and what and we receive that by faith. So this text in the parable of the Good Samaritan, not an easy one at all. In fact, A very, very difficult passage, and let me go ahead and read it for you, and then what we'll do is we'll get into the Sermon Cage Fight, and I will introduce today's Sermon Cage Fighters, if you would. Like I said, you've never heard these gentlemen before, unless, of course... You attend their churches. But the text that we're going to be looking at, or actually hearing two men preach on, is found in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, starting at verse 25. And I'm going to read it from the ESV. Here's what it says. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him, that's Jesus, to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Mm-hmm. Confusing of quorum deo and quorum Um, these categories. So he said to him, well, what's written in law? How do you read it? Okay. Now watch what Jesus does here. And he he answered, well, you shall love the Lord, your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. Now there's kind of the trick, right? Because he hasn't done that. And that actually becomes patently clear. In, uh, in his response <laughs> to Jesus, okay? And, by the way, scriptures makes it very clear. No one, not one person, will be declared righteous before God by works of the law. This is what Romans chapter 3 says. So, here's what now the text says, Luke tw- uh, chapter 10, verse 29. But he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, and there are the words, right, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, all right, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And Jesus said to him, You go, and you do likewise. Now, difficult passage. This is one of the most difficult passages to rightly divide law and gospel. And so it's this is not an easy text. And uh, our two contestants, if you would, our two sermon cage fighters, they have their work cut out for them if they're going to pull this off. So, we're going to get right into our Sermon Cage Fight. In, in order to do that, I have to introduce our Sermon Cage Fighters, and uh, here we go. That's right, folks. It's time for another Fighting for the Faith Sermon Cage Fight. Our Sermon Cage Fight today will be fought by two men from two completely different churches. Our first contestant is Pastor Bruce Kessiman of Christ, our Savior, Lutheran Church, Freeburg, Illinois. The sermon that he preached on this text is entitled, The Good Samaritan and the God Samaritan. After we hear Pastor Kesserman, we'll take a quick break, and when we come back, Corey Kessel will enter the sermon cage fight ring, and he will preach his sermon entitled, 321 Greater Than Good Samaritan. By the way, Corey Castle is one of the uh, up-and-coming young pastors over at Church by the Glades out there in Florida. So what we're going to be listening for, proper distinction of law and gospel, and whether each of these pastors is able to not mix up Coram Deo and Coram Mundo. These are critical categories that if you mess this up in your preaching of the Good Samaritan, you're going to leave people confused as to how they have a right standing before God. So with that, we're going to get right to the Sermon Cage Fight. And I need to remind you all, there is no wagering allowed during our Sermon Cage Fights. So with that, Uh, let's
1: get ready to rumble!
0: Here's our first Sermon Cage Fighter, Bruce Kessiman, and his sermon entitled The Good Samaritan and the God Samaritan. Here we go.
2: The word of God that calls for our attention on this Lord's Day is from St. Luke chapter 10, where Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. So, are you like the priest and the Levite? Do you sometimes pass up opportunities to show mercy? Or do you feel a little more like that man beaten? Left by the side of the road of life, bloodied and half dead? Or are you perhaps more like the Good Samaritan, who actually takes time to care for others, even your own enemy? This morning we hear the story of Jesus three different times in three different ways to show that. Actually, we can relate to all three different kinds of people. First, hear the story the way I think Jesus originally intended it to be heard by the person who was listening to him, with you as the priest and me as the Levite.
0: All right, so he's, he's, he's paying close attention to the details of the text, and by doing so, he wants to make sure that uh, he's going to be true to the way the original hearers would have heard the parable. So that, that, I mean, that's just good exegesis right there. So we'll go ahead and we're going to score some points here. I'll give two points uh, to Pastor Kessiman for that particular
2: technique. We continue. There's this lawyer who comes to test Jesus. Lawyer not in the sense like that Ned Randall is a lawyer, an attorney. This This is someone who is an expert in the Old Testament law. In other words, a Bible scholar, we might call him a seminary professor. So Mr. Seminary Professor asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You can't inherit, you you can't do anything to inherit eternal life. It's given to you by Jesus.
0: All right, we're going to score some more points here. I mean, clearly, I mean, I'm going to give him two more points because he's clearly pointed out the problem with the question being
2: asked. Good move, Pastor Kessiman. We continue. But Jesus plays along, so the seminary professor will realize he can't do anything to to earn his way into heaven. What does the Bible say, Jesus asks? And Mr. Professor says, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Hey, give that professor an A. He does know his Old Testament. He got it exactly right. Jesus says, do that and you'll live. Do what? Love God, love neighbor. Well, who's my neighbor? Mr. Professor asks. And Jesus answers with a story. A man was uh, trekking down this notoriously dangerous road between Jerusalem and Jericho. And he he was robbed, attacked, beaten, left for dead on the side of the road. A priest and a Levite come trekking down the same road. I'm guessing they're going in the opposite direction, not from Jerusalem to Jericho, but from Jericho to Jerusalem, where they'll be working in the temple, because they are, after all, a priest and a Levite, and that's where priests and Levites go to work. And and the priest and the Levite, they each see this man lying on the side of the road, but they can't tell if he is dead or not. What they do know is, if if he is dead and they touch him, then they cannot do their priestly service in the temple, because that's what the Old Testament law says, they can't. And remember, Jesus is talking to an Old Testament lawyer who knows very well what the Old Testament says.
0: So the- Okay, got to give uh, some more points here. And the reason I'm going to do that is I'm going to give two more points. The reason I'm going to score that is because this is a vital, important piece of information that you need to fill in if you're going to properly exegete this. The Levites, the priests, um, if they touch a dead body, they can't do their job. They can't do their vocation. This is what the Mosaic law commands. And so it's not necessarily that they're being unmerciful. It's just that the law kind of has them all bound up, doesn't it? The law isn't about mercy and compassion, is it? No, it's not. Good point, Pastor Kesserman. We continue.
2: Oh, and besides that, the priest and the Levite, if they stop to help, they might get robbed and left for dead on the side of the road. So Quite logically, I'm thinking the professor is is imagining, these guys walk by on the other side of the road. And then down the road comes a man from Samaria. Uh, Mr. Professor knows very well the man from Samaria is not going to stop to help because the man laying on the side of the road is a Jew. Jews hate Samaritans. Samaritans have equal affection for Jews. They don't talk to each other, let alone help each other, but this Samaritan, he actually has compassion on his enemy. This Samaritan takes out his cell phone and calls 911. Wait a second. This is the first century. He doesn't have a cell phone, and even if he did have a cell phone and he called 911, they couldn't send any help because it's the first century. They didn't have any paramedics either. So what does he do? He bandages up this man's wounds, pours on antiseptic, and might have even performed mouth-to-mouth resuscitation first. And he takes care of that man he should loathe. He takes him to an inn. He pays in advance for this man's care. He doesn't have a credit card. This is the first century after all. But it almost sounds like he leaves a credit card with the inn. He says... Charge to my account whatever it costs to take care of this man. And Jesus turns to Mr. Professor and he says, Okay, priest, Levite, Samaritan. Which one of them is a neighbor to the man in need? Mr. Professor knows the answer. But Mr. Professor is a Jew. He cannot bring himself to actually say the word Samaritan. So he says, The one who had mercy, I give him another A. He got another question right. Who is your neighbor? Anyone who could use your help. Anyone to whom you can show the Lord's mercy, even if it happens to be the person you despise most in this world. You are going down from, let's say, not Jericho, uh, Jerusalem to Jericho, but let's say from St. Louis to Freeburg. And you see a man who has been beaten and left for dead on the side of the road after he was robbed. But this is a rough neighborhood. Most of the people have a different color skin than you do. And besides, you're due for a meeting at church, a very important meeting at church in uh, 20 minutes. And it will take exactly 20 minutes to get to the church. So will you stop? Will you perform mouth-to-mouth resuscitation on this man? Whenever you call 911 and find out that all of the paramedics are busy at other emergencies, will you begin to to rip up your nice new clothes and use them to bandage this man? Will You then put his bloodied body onto the upholstery of your brand new car and haul him off to the ER. And when you get to the ER and find out he has no insurance, will you hand them your credit card and pay for the costs of his medical attention? And most of us would say, now surely God does not expect us to do all of that just to be a neighbor to someone in need. But he does expect that. Isn't that the very point of Jesus' story? <laughs>
0: yeah, more points here. I'm going to give him five more points for that. The reason being is he is not shaving off the hard edges of the law here at all. He's not watering down the important point that jesus is making surely there's some exceptions to to this i mean jesus isn't really expect yeah he that's the point go go thou and do likewise right so pastor kesserman doesn't shirk his responsibility to preach the full counsel of the word of god unaltered and make sure that uh, you don't you can't rationalize your way out of the point that jesus is making now by the way Notice that what this is doing is preaching law, because if you're listening to this, you're going, man, that's not me at all. Right. And what's it doing? Showing your selfishness, showing your lack of love for your neighbor. Is it not? Yes, it is. That's what the law is supposed to do. So he's, he's, he's not trying to dial the law back at all he's got it on flamethrower mode which is what you're supposed to do with the law so that at the end of it all of your self-righteousness is burned away to a crisp and you ain't got any left so yeah pastor kessman's doing a fine job here of distinguishing law and gospel and rightly handling this text
2: that if we are going to love our neighbor it means loving him even when it is inconvenient And even when it is dangerous. Even when it is our arch enemy that we are supposed to love. Love your neighbor as yourself does not have an exception clause. Like, love your neighbor as yourself. Except when it is dangerous, when it is not convenient, or when it is your enemy. If there were any exception clauses, you can bet that Mr. Professor would have pointed them out. Because he knew the Bible backwards and forwards. But he knows there are no exceptions. He knows that he has not loved his neighbor as himself and neither have you neither have i which means we have not done what is necessary to inherit eternal life we have done what is necessary to inherit eternal death
0: bingo right on more points i'm going to give him 3 more points for that the implications and well what what the implications of you not keeping god's law deadly Serious. Not only have you not done what is necessary to inherit eternal life, you've earned, done what's necessary to earn eternal damnation. Bingo. All right, so he's just preaching the law straight down the line all the way to its full and judgmental conclusion, which is what the law does, is it judges and condemns. Law can't save. Law can condemn. We continue.
2: Uh, I suppose... We ought not then try to excuse our sins, excuse our failures to help other people. What we can do is confess our sins, our failures to help other people. Humbly but sincerely kneel before our Lord and say, I have not loved you with uh, my whole heart. I have not loved my neighbor as myself. I deserve your temporal and eternal punishment. And as you, as you confess, Hear the story again.
0: Now notice, what does he want you to do now that you've been confronted with your sin? He wants you to confess that you're a sinner. Good. This is, what does John say? If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sin, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Four more points for Pastor Kessiman. Let me get those tallied up here. Great, great stuff. Now he's going to preach the gospel here. He's going to flip the tables a little bit and show us something about Jesus in this text. So he's circling back, and he's going to take another look at this story. So you've confessed that you haven't loved your neighbor as yourself, and you haven't done what is necessary to inherit eternal life. Well, let's see what the good news is.
2: This time, not as the story of the good Samaritan, but as the story of the... God, Samaritan. You and I are walking down the road of life from conception to death. And we fall in among the devil, the world, and our own evil desires. And because we are spiritually weak and vulnerable, they quickly overpower us. And they, they rob us of our holiness, leave us riddled with sin, and lying half dead on the side of the road of life. No, that's not true. Lying fully dead on the side of the road of life, spiritually dead, not able to love our neighbor as we ought, not able to love our God as we ought, simply waiting for hell a physician, an advice columnist, a TV psychologist, and all sorts of other people who are skilled at helping people cope with life come walking down the same road that we are on, but they have no reason to stop. They may be very skilled at helping people deal with earthly problems, but what we have are spiritual problems and frankly, they are just as beaten down by sin and death and the problems of this world as we are. They are just as spiritually dead as
0: we are. They can't help. Now, notice all the advice people he's talked about, coram mundo, these are pretty important people. Coram deo, before God, they, we all suffer from the same problem dead in trespasses and sins. So he's properly distinguishing, although he's not saying the categories. The categories are rightly distinguished, Coram Deo and Coram Mundo. Coram Deo before God and Coram Mundo before the world. Again, I'm going to give him three more points for this, and uh, we continue. Here we go.
2: And then one named Yahweh comes walking down our road. He has no reason to stop and help. He has every reason not to stop and help. He made humans without sin. He warned us what would happen if we fell into sin. He showed us how it is that we could show mercy to our neighbors. He warned us there would be temptation, but we did not listen, which is why we are lying dead on the side of the road. Or actually, why we would be lying dead on the side of the road, except for the fact that Yahweh has come down that road. The God Samaritan walks down our road precisely because he knows we're going to be dead on the side of the road and needing him to revive us. He comes into this world in the person of Jesus and he stops to help you, to help me, to help every human on the face of this earth just when there is no one else to come to our aid. The God Samaritan stops for us, bandages us, cares for us, and revives us, no matter how much it costs him, and it costs him a lot. The Creator becomes like one of His creatures. Well, okay, He doesn't become exactly, He doesn't live exactly the way we do. The temptations of the devil and the world and and our own sinful inclinations... Those do not overcome him the way they overcome us. Unlike the rest of us, he is not left beaten and bruised and dead because of his own sin. Oh, he's left beaten, bruised, dead, and even damned on the cross. But it's not because of his sin. It's because of our sin. It's because he's taken out his credit card and he's handed it over to pay the full price of your healing and mine. And the price... The price is him suffering the hell that we would have had to deserve. That's what he was doing on the cross. You see, Yahweh is our neighbor. The God Samaritan has come and had mercy on us when no one else would. And when you wouldn't think, he even would. The good Samaritan, he poured on oil and wine, antiseptics on this man's wounds. The God Samaritan pours water and his forgiving word onto our wounded lives. Wow.
0: Okay. All right. Ten points for a clear exposition of the gospel, including substitutionary vicarious atonement. Yeah, that's kind of the $10 theological terms for that. But Christ suffers and dies in our place, pays our price for us. Whew. Well said and even gets in the means of grace, too. Wow.
2: We continue. That font, it looks like it is filled with nothing but ordinary H2O. But that is sin antiseptic there. Water combined with God's forgiving word. And the God Samaritan puts that on you. And then he picks you up and he carries you to the inn, the inn that we call the church, his hospital where nurses, me included, have the privilege of administering the medication of his forgiveness. It's all medicine that he has paid for in advance, not by handing over his credit card, but by handing over his holy, precious body and blood, his innocent suffering and death, which is why our God can put the balm of his healing baptism onto your wounded life. And you might know his forgiveness. It is why he can fill the scriptures with the power of his healing. Maybe he should even put the prescription right there on, the, on your Bible. It could say, take several times each day by, by ear and eye for healing. And even puts the medicine of immortality into your mouth as he puts the body and blood that revives your life into his mouth at his holy altar. And that one might say, take as often as possible. Don't worry about ODing. You cannot OD on Jesus. You see, because the God Samaritan was willing to walk down this very road that we walk down, We who were dead in our trespasses and sins are now alive in Christ, or as St. Paul put it in today's epistle. He has rescued us from the realm of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son. That is why we do not ask, as the Bible expert asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? We know we can't do anything to inherit eternal life. Jesus has done everything to give us eternal life. But you know, we might ask, what may I do because the God Samaritan has come and given me that eternal life? Jesus. There was never ever a time in his life that he did not show mercy to those who were in
0: need. Now notice the distinction here. He's gone from The implications of the free forgiveness of sins and right standing before God, Coram Deo. Now how does this impact me, Coram Mundo, before my neighbor and the world? Beautiful transition, too. And to leave this out is to absolutely do violence to the text. And I'm so glad that he is right on this, and he's rightly keeping the categories of Coram Deo and Coram Mundo uh, separated. So... I'm going to give him three more points for that,
2: although I could easily give him more. We continue. And now you know what God does? He looks at you and he says, There has never, ever been a time in your life that you did not show mercy to someone who is in need. Because God counts everything that Jesus has done as though you did it. And so he looks at you and says... You aren't only a good Samaritan, you are the best Samaritan, the perfect Samaritan. So if God already counts us as good Samaritans, why, let's start acting like good Samaritans. See you Amen. Have compassion, stop and help. You don't have to go out of your way looking for opportunities to be a good Samaritan. The good Samaritan in the story didn't go out of his way. He simply was doing his daily duties and all of a sudden there was a chance to show mercy. As you do your daily work, you'll meet plenty of people who need your mercy. A hurting child that needs a hug. A guilt-ridden friend who needs to hear that Jesus has been to the cross for her. Or maybe maybe it's a rival of yours who needs to experience your your forgiveness. Then again, maybe the neighbor you help is an unborn child when you speak up in defense of life. Maybe the neighbor that you help is, is someone who suffered from a natural disaster and needs your donation. Maybe the neighbor you help is a missionary like Dave and Luz Maria Ernst in Venezuela who could use our prayers and our offerings because they're fighting to keep God's work going there in the midst of national upheaval. There's all kinds of opportunities to be a neighbor to those in need. A pastor in inner-city Indianapolis gets a telephone call from some deaconess intern in Illinois. She wants to know if her youth group can crash on the floor of of the church basement while they're traveling to, to a youth conference. He has no reason to help. He doesn't know who this woman is. But he has experienced the mercy of the God Samaritan. And he offers not just the floor of the church basement. He offers a bed in his home and beds in his fellow parishioners. He offers to make supper for the whole group and breakfast for the whole group and to offer them vespers and and prayer in the morning. I believe that Pastor Miro in Indianapolis was a neighbor to the Christ Our Savior Lutheran youth group as we traveled to West Lafayette this past week. Christians do not go through life trying to be good Samaritans. We go through life confessing our sins and receiving forgiveness. But as we experience the healing of the God Samaritan, we can't help but begin to live as good Samaritans, showing his mercy in our lives. So who are you in Jesus' story? sure everybody in the story, so am I. Like the priest and the Levite, we too often walk past opportunities to serve. And so, we repent. Like the man beaten on the side of the road, we are dead in our trespasses and sins, but rescued because the God Samaritan was willing willing to stop and help even when it cost him his life to pay off our expenses. And so, because Jesus has come... And because God counts us as already being good Samaritans, why, we begin to show mercy to the people who are in need, just like the good Samaritan. But we do it. We do it because we know that we have received as a gift the very thing that that professor was trying to earn. Life. Eternal life from Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Whoo! (laughs) Man, that was
0: great! Just brilliant! Law, gospel, sin, grace, repentance, and the forgiveness of sins, and Coram Deo and Coram Mundo. Law and gospel beautifully, beautifully kept in their right biblical proportions to convict sins, bring us to repentance, to confess and be forgiven and now that we're forgiven to go out and love and serve our neighbors brilliant brilliant sermon i mean i have to admit i'm impressed this is uh, pastor kaseman's first time ever entering the fighting for the faith sermon cage fighting arena and boy he he really did well let me count up his points here 5 10 15 20 25 30 35 36 37 points For Pastor Kesseman, he has set a high, high bar. So what we're going to do is we're going to take our first break and uh, pay some bills. And when we come back, we will be uh, listening to Sermon number 2 uh, by Corey Castle of Church by the Glades. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, Or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash piratechristian. Or follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Christian. Quick break. When we come back, it's contestant number 2 in our Sermon Cage fight. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back.
1: Living a life of purpose can't save you. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Python's Flying Circus Church. New from Los Lobos Ministry Records. An album that's just oozing with the love of Christ. It's Pastor Perry Noble's new techno praise album entitled, More Like Jesus. The songs on this album will melt your face off in a sanctified way. This album includes... The number one purpose driven praise techno dance song of all time, entitled, Well, you might just want to hear it for yourself. If everyone about the jackass in the church, the jackass in the church is the person that always screams, I want to go deeper. You know what I tell people to say that around here? You're only as deep as the last person you served. You know what I tell people to say that around here? You're only as deep as the last person you served what about the jackass in the church? The jackass in the church is the person that always screams, I want to go deeper. what about the jackass in the church? The jackass in the church is the person that always screams, I want to go deeper. Don't you feel closer to Jesus after hearing that sample? Well, we've got another one for you, too. This one's entitled, You Officially Suck. I think that you officially suck as a human being. I think that you officially suck as a human being. You to playing games I think that you officially suck as a human being. I'm not playing games. I think that you officially suck as a human being. Other tracks include Your Grandma Smokes Weed and. I don't like hanging out with people that make me uncomfortable. Act now, and Louis Lovell's ministry will even throw in the free bonus track by Stephen Furtick entitled, Cause They're Stupid. Here's a sample. Cause they're stupid. Cause they're stupid. A lot of people don't like rock and roll in church. Cause they're stupid. Cause they're stupid. Cause they're stupid. Cause they're stupid. Cause they're stupid, cause they're stupid. A lot of people don't like rock and roll in church cuz they're stupid. Cuz they're stupid. Cuz they're stupid. Cuz they're stupid. A lot of people don't like rock and roll in church cuz they're stupid. Cuz they're stupid. So act now and get Pastor Perry Nobles brand new techno praise album entitled More Like Jesus.
0: Don't pay more for travel than you need to. We're back. Warning: Listening to "Fighting for the Faith" could cause you to become supremely dissatisfied with your pastor, especially if you know there's no way he's going to leave a sermon cage fight without being bloodied. <laughs> Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. And you can partner with us. That's right, it's a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute. $8.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. That's a great way to support us. And, of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you could do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support because we can't do what we're doing here without it. And now if you would like to uh, pick up this year's uh, the 2014 Pirate Christian Radio T-shirt, we have a new design this year uh, from uh, Daniel Price, and uh, we've, we've, we're we making it available now. All you've got to do is go to fightingforthefaith.com and on the very top of the page, very top of the page, you'll see a link that says Bake Sale. Click on the Bake Sale and uh, you'll be taken to a page where you can see this year's uh, design for our Pirate Christian Radio t-shirt, and um, and you know, pricing information and shipping and ordering information is all there uh, on the uh, website. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Click on Bake Sale and get your 2014 Pirate Christian Radio t-shirt today. All right, contestant number two for our Sermon Cage Fight uh, comes to us via Church by the Glades. Uh, this is where David Hughes... Uh, holds court, but it's not David Hughes who's preaching. It's uh, one of his understudy pastors, a gentleman by the name of Corey Castle, C A S S E L, and his sermon is entitled Three to One Greater Than Good Samaritan. Yeah, I don't know what that means, but here's Corey. Here we go.
3: We're going to look at a story in the Bible that I think holds some key principles that if we deploy these principles, it's going to make these three weeks and then life just beyond amazing. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 10. If you got your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter what? That was really good. We don't even have to do it. We'll we'll do it again anyway. Luke chapter what? Nice. That was even better. Luke chapter 10. I had my coffee right before this service. Don't know if you can tell. Um, And we're going to start in verse 25. Anybody still use a paper Bible? Anybody? Oh, yeah. Seven of us. All right. Praise God. Anybody use electronic Bible? You version? Yeah, we support that too. And if you have neither, it'll be on the screen. Behold, um, Luke chapter 10, starting at verse 25. Here we go. It says, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. Now, let me give you some context real quick. This is our boy, Jay, Jesus. Jesus is teaching. His, uh, I like calling him Jay. His, not to be casual. Jesus is awesome.
0: So, Je- all right. So, um, I'm going to give him one point for um, actually giving us some context, but I'm going to take a point away for calling Jesus Jay. So he, well, the two points cancel each other. He's still at zero.
3: This is our boy Jay? Jesus. Jesus is teaching. His, uh, I like calling him Jay. His, not to be casual. Jesus is awesome. So Jesus is teaching a bunch of people and he finishes the story and this dude just stands up kind of rude, right? Like any teachers in the house, any educators you teach? Yeah. What if one of your students was just like, I have a question. you like, sit down. <laughs> right. Just like throw an eraser at him. Do we still have erasers? All right, good. Um, Told you, coffee for the service. So the dude just stands up, kind of rude. And he says, he's a lawyer. Why is that important? Very well-educated dude. Smart, very intelligent guy. So much so that he asked one of life's toughest questions. It says, and behold, a lawyer stood up and put him to the test saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now again, where are my teachers at? Teachers, raise your hand. Imagine one of your students stands up, whatever grade you teach, and he says, what happens when I die? Like, that's like one of life's top three questions, right? Like, is there life after death? And if so, how do I get me some of that? Like, he just lobbed like a question grenade out there to Jesus. Just, And I love how Jesus responds. Jesus looked back and said to him, what is written in the law? Lawyer. What is written in the law? How do you read it? In other words, Jesus is saying, hey, I've answered most of life's questions in this book called God's word. You got a question. Why don't you read it? It's probably in there. Maybe may be something for somebody today. I
0: don't know. Yeah, no, that's not what Jesus is up to. Um, yeah, so we got a problem all, re- really early on in this uh, sermon, and that is, is that Corey seems to be oblivious to the idea that uh, what Jesus is up to um, is, well— challenging this guy's false question because there's a problem with the question. He's oblivious to the fact that, hey, you can't earn eternal life. There's nothing you can do to earn it. It's given to you as a gift. We continue. It may be
3: something for somebody today. I don't know. So we throw it back up there. So how do you read it? And then this guy, really smart, intelligent guy, lawyer, says he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus said to him, you answered correctly. Well done, bro. Like how smart is this guy? Life's toughest question. He throws it out there to Jesus. Jesus turns it back on it and he gets it right on the head, like nails it. That's amazing. Dude's smart. But I love what Jesus says. We're going to read this next word here together on the count of three. Ready? One, two, three. Ooh, we're going to do that again. Ready? One, two, three. Do. Do you have answered correctly, do this, and you will live. Now, why is that important?
0: Now, pay attention to his answer to the question. He confuses law and gospel here badly.
3: Because this guy was a lawyer. Lawyers were all about learning and knowing the law, learning and knowing the commandments. Jesus did not say, learn this and you will live. Jesus did not say, know this, and you will live. Jesus said what? Do this, and you will live. For a lawyer, for the listeners, this was a shift in the paradigm.
0: Okay, we've got major problems here, confusing of law and gospel, and this requires you to know your Bible. Because Scripture is very clear in Romans as well as Galatians that no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by observing the law. That's a direct quote from the Scripture. So what what is going on here with Jesus saying, well, then do this and you will live? Jesus is trying to actually show him he ain't doing it, and that's the punchline. And apparently, Corey here is completely oblivious to the biblical distinctions of law and gospel. And as a result of it, he's saying things here that's confusing, confusing in the highest. So if you were at Church by the Glades hearing this sermon, um, how would you think uh, you would then be saved? How do you inherit eternal life? Well, do the commandments, right? That's what it sounds like Corey's putting forward. So he's going to lose some points here, major points. I'm going to have him lose an additional five points to the three that I've taken off already. So he's in the hole at eight points already. We continue.
3: For a lawyer, for the listeners, this was a shift in the paradigm. It wasn't about knowing. It's about doing, this is what I mean. Did Did you know you can have all the answers and still fail the test? You can have all the answers and still fail the test. You can know it all and still fail the test of life. Why? Because at some point, you have to pick up the pencil and fill out the Scantron. At some point, you have to put what you know to practice. And if you don't fill out the Scantron, if you don't do what you know, you can know it all and still fail the test. Some of us, it's been all about knowing the right things. We're going to start doing them. Look at your neighbor and say, do it. We'll come back to that. We'll come back to that. He continues. It gets better. He says, do this and you will live. Verse 29. But he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Desiring to justify himself. You guys know we do this sometimes? Try and justify ourselves. No, y'all are not agreeing at all. I'll, I'll prove it to you. Justify ourselves. It's like this. Ladies, maybe some of you men, you're shopping. You're at the mall. Target, thrift store if you're hipster. You know, you're wherever. So walking around the mall, and you see them shoes and you're like, I'm broke, but look at them shoes. And you think, you know, I've been working really hard lately. I deserve them shoes. I have earned me some new shoes. You know what? I think I would work harder if I was in those shoes. It would be wrong for me not to get the, I need them shoes. You justify those shoes. Don't you just, you know, you don't need it. You know, you shouldn't do it. You just, well, it's like this. You've been working out. You're on that diet plan. You're out at the restaurant and then the dessert menu comes and you go, no, I shouldn't, but I've been working out really hard. I can go to the gym in the morning. I ran today from the door to the car because it was raining, but I burned calories doing it. I will take the double hot fudge lava cake with ice cream on the side, whipped cream on top. Can I get the hot fudge swirled around it? Some sprinkles, cherry on top and a diet Coke, please. Because I'm on a diet. You justify it, right? We justify ourselves. Or it's like, you've been in that relationship for a long time, and you're like,
0: oh, we've been together so long, we love... So let me ask you the question, based on his preaching thus far, how do you think you have a right standing before God, quorum deo? By doing the law, right? That's what he's saying, is it not? Guys, touch a little nerve there. We justify...
3: We justify it. We know it's wrong. We know we shouldn't do it. But we I love the way the message translation says this verse. It says, okay, and he... H- looked- hang on.
0: Okay, taking four more points off for his use of the message paraphrase. And the fact that he's... The term justify in this particular sense doesn 't mean what he thinks it means he 's not even paying attention he doesn 't know how to properly execute it 's not like the guy, the guy 's trying to justify himself the way you know somebody would justify you know eating a dessert because they 've been working out or anything so i 'll take off another three points here. Yeah, we continue. This is really bad.
3: No, we shouldn't do it. But we, I love the way the message translation says this verse. It says, and he, looking for a loophole, asked Jesus a question. Looking for a loophole. When I was a kid, I was the king of the loophole. Like, I would—I was that kid that would analyze every word my parents said and try and find, like, the way around it. You know, they'd be like, no going out tonight. Can't go out tonight. I'd be like, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. And I'd walk away, and I'd be like, now, did he mean... Out of the house, out of the neighborhood, out of the city, out of the state. That's relative term. I think he meant out of the city. I'm good to go. Here we go. You know, like I just find my way around it. I remember one time, anybody got siblings in the house? You know how you kind of like fight with your siblings? I had an older sister, have an older sister and a younger brother. My younger brother's like two years younger than me. His name's Sean. And I remember we were really little. I was like eight years old. He was six years old. I was watching TV, just like sitting on the couch watching TV. And Sean comes up behind me. He's like, hey, Corey, let's play, let's play. And I was just like, no, go away. And then for some reason he does this. So I'm like sitting on the couch, he comes up to the back of the couch and he starts going, let's play, let's play, let's play, let's play like behind my head. And I'm like, Sean, go away. Stop I'm trying to watch TV. And then he just starts doing this, <sighs> 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 like on either side of my head. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to kill this guy. And so I like get up and i walk around behind him. And it, for some reason he's still going, <sighs> And I thought, you know, we have a rule in my house. You're not supposed to hit each other. Don't fight. Definitely don't punch each other and stuff like that. And I thought, okay, well, and he's going, "Ah, ah," and I thought, well, I can't hit him. And so I waited till he went, "Ah," and then I just put my fist right here. And he said, "Ah, boom. And like, and then he runs to my mom and he's like, ah, Corey hit me. And then my mom's like, Corey Donovan, when your mom says
0: your middle name, you know what's going down. Right? Yeah. Who's he preaching about now? Um, himself. Um, the humorous anecdotal story about his childhood has nothing to do with this text, and it's not helping us rightly understand it at all. I'm re- taking off some more points.
3: Donovan, when your mom says your middle name, you know what's going down, right? So I like go upstairs. I'm like, yes, ma'am. She's like, did you punch your brother in the face? I said, no. His face ran into my fist. And then her hand ran into my behind and I had to go home. I had to go in my room. It was grounded because I'm a smart aleck. But the loophole, here's the deal guys. It's funny, but it's not funny all the time. The loophole is a lie. And what what I found is when you look for the loophole, it will lead you to lose in life. When you're constantly looking for the loophole, especially around God's word, it will eventually lead you to lose out on what God has for you in life, right? Right. It's like when you spend all your time trying to justify and find that shortcut around God's word and his principles. When you try and shortcut it, all you're doing is shortcutting you and your life and the potential God has for you and the destiny He has for you.
0: It works out. Yeah, two people. Potential and destiny talk. Wrong. This isn't a purpose-driven text. So we're going to remove some more points here. Okay, we continue. It works out. Yeah, two people agree with that. Thank you
3: loophole. It is a lie. So this guy's looking for a loophole and he raises this question and who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied. And before we get into Jesus's answer, I just want to point this out. I said, this guy is a lawyer. He's very intelligent, very intelligent guy. And he does something so smart here. He asks this question, a little bit of an ulterior motive. He asks this question and then Jesus answers the question the way he normally answers the question in the form of a parable. Y'all know what a parable is? Parables parable is like a made-up story with sometimes real places, real people, real practices and concepts in order to answer the question. But a parable doesn't just answer the question. It gives you and, and provides you with the foundation around the why of the question. So you, just get the, you don't just get the answer, but you get so much more. You get the reason why.
0: Uh, where, uh, which seminary did you learn that from? I, I've never heard that explanation as to what a parable is. Did you just make that up on your own? <laughs> Two more points off. We continue.
3: You get so much more. You get the reason why. So this guy a- asked the question, who is my neighbor? And most of us, when we ask the question, Jesus, if he starts this answer, if I start, if you ask me, who is my neighbor? And I was like, well, there's this guy walking down this road. He'd be like, no, no, no. I asked you, who is my neighbor? Right? like, just answer the question. But Jesus gives him this long, long, almost sermon, this parable to answer his question. And it's not until the very last statement that Jesus makes that this guy actually gets the answer to his question. And he's so intelligent because he waits and listens intently to the entire story to get to the very last thing, which is the exact thing he needed to hear. Did you know the thing that God's been trying to impart into your soul? The answer to the question you've been asking will oftentimes be the last thing you're waiting to hear.
0: Yeah, um, sorry. Um, what are you talking about? What are you doing with this text? Is this, did you go to the Stephen Furtick School of Narcissistic Eisegesis? Oh, and also the Chris Rock School of uh, Homiletics. Good night. We continue...
3: You're waiting to hear it'll come at the last minute at the last moment. And this is what I mean Like for me and for us here in the church body and the church family We spend our weeks like if we're needing an answer from the lord or we're seeking the lord on something, you know We're praying god. Will you answer me on this? I need help I need to I need some direction and then we'll dive into god's word and god speaks to us through his word and through prayer But did you know the bible says that people are saved by the foolishness of preaching? It says in first corinthians it says men are saved by the foolishness of preaching. It's foolishness that we say that because...
0: Yeah, we covered that on yesterday's episode of Fighting for the Faith. The foolishness of preaching there is the foolishness of the preaching of Christ and Him crucified for our sins.
3: That God would allow us to do that. But this is the system God set up. Your pastors and your preachers and your spiritual authorities are throughout the week. They're asking God this question. God, what do you want to say to your people? What is the message? What is the guidance you want to give? And then during the week, we're asking this, God, would you speak to us? Would you say something to us? Would you guide us? And what's amazing is the way God has worked it is when we come together and that pastor, that preacher, that teacher, whatever the day or week or Wednesday night or Sunday night, whatever, when he comes and he brings that word from the Lord and then we come eager to listen, all of a sudden we find that the crossroads meet and we get the guidance and the answers we've been seeking. If we intently lay in, lean in and often wait for the last word. And this is why I mean that. I will come to church by-
0: Yeah, I, I have no idea what he's talking about. This has absolutely nothing to do with Jesus's parable of the Good Samaritan. We continue.
3: I mean that. I will come to church by the glades weekend after weekend. And I'll come to Saturday night service. And then I'll come to like Sawgrass Classic service. And then I'll go over to Sample Road and catch a service or two. And then I'll be at Sunday night service. There are weekends I hear Pastor David's message six times in a row. The same message. Imagine listening to me six times in a row. Some of you are like... No. So I will listen to Pastor David's message six times in a row, and it is not until the 6 p.m. service and his last sentence that I kind of, oh, thank you for that word, God. That is what I needed. Now, oftentimes I just miss it because during the service, I'm too busy pulling my phone out and texting or, you know, and I just miss it. I'm like, oh, what did he say? Oh, well, I guess what important little did I know it would have changed my life. But that text was more important. Or, you know, like, my bladder's kind of full, so I run off and use the bathroom. But when I go see a movie, I'll hold it in for an hour and a half so I don't miss the next scene. But when it comes to God's life-changing word that could change the trajectory of my soul and
0: What is he talking about? <laughs> I mean, talk about being off-topic. We continue... ...change
3: the trajectory of my soul and life forever. I'd rather go empty my bladder out. I'm just throwing it out there. No, I'm just saying. No, hey, no, that... If you need to, please don't mess the seat. I'm saying you can go use the restroom. I'm not talking legalism here, but this is what I mean. There was a word I was brought up, kind of taught. It was a word called reverence. Ever hear that word? Reverence. Like I remember we used to have pews in my church when I was a little kid. And if I was like squirming and fidgeting, my dad would give me that look like you fidget one more time and I will rip all your limbs off when we get out of church. And if I kept fidgeting, then you get the fatherly like death grip claw on the back of your head. You can't move. You're like paralyzed. And I remember I look at my mom and be like, mom, I got to pee. And she'd be like, you're going to hold it. And it like just started. And I'm like, oh no. And I can't fidget because then I get the death call. So the whole time I'm just like, but they were teaching me. I'm just kidding. They weren't that cruel. Yeah, they were. Um, (laughs) They were teaching me reverence. Reverence. Because for some reason, the spoken word of God can change our lives and our soul But often it's more important that we get out so we get the parking spot at Ruby Tuesdays. Now, you know, like it's, I I would implore you, be be wise and be smart like this guy. And I know this seems self-serving because I'm one of the guys teaching, but I have had God change my life when I wait and I listen and I lean in all the way to the last word. And this guy smartly did so. And then we jump into Jesus's answer. So he said, who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed him, leaving him half dead. verse 31, Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by to the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to that place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Everybody say compassion. Mm -hmm. That's an important word there. Verse 34. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to the inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave him to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him, and whatever you spend... I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Everybody say do. Do. So right here in this short parable, we find the answer to that guy's question And I think we find the principles to allow us to leverage the next two weeks, six days, 23 hours, 17 minutes, and 34 seconds to its fullest potential to reach the most amount of people for the kingdom of God and his glory and see his glory shine in our lives. So the first thing I see
0: here... Yeah, by the way, the countdown, you know what that's all about? They're counting down the weeks before the big fall kickoff. You know, big fall kickoff is a huge day in the seeker-driven liturgical calendar. And it just so so happens to coincide with the beginning of heresy hurricane season. So, um, yeah, that's where the three, two, one is coming from. 3 2, one is the uh, weeks until the big fall kickoff. And basically what this is is the go thou and do likewise. You need to be a good Samaritan invite people to come to church by the glades. That's the point he's making. So as a result of that, I'll be taking some more points off. We continue. ...shining our lives. So the
3: first thing I see here is this is a parable. It's a made-up story, but it has some facts to it. Jesus says, so a man was traveling on a road from Jerusalem to Jericho. This road still exists today. It's an actual place. You can go walk on it right now if you fly over there. It's a road that goes from Jerusalem to Jericho. It has one town on the way, this little town called Bethany. It's about 17 miles. It descends in altitude about 3,500 feet in altitude as you go down this road. Once you get outside of Bethany, it's 15 miles of desolate, isolated desert terrain. Very rocky, very jagged, and people knew that this was a dangerous road, but because of the terrain, robbers and muggers would hide, and if you came through, they would mug you. It had such a reputation, it got to be called the bloody way. Anybody grow up in a dangerous neighborhood, grew up in maybe not the best hood, you know, and you knew that one street, don't go down that street, you know what I'm talking about? This was that road. Like, as soon as Jesus started talking, he was like, Jerusalem to Jericho, people were like, oh, the bloody way. And he was like, a guy was walking through, and he got mugged, and everybody was like, well, duh, it's on the bloody way. You don't do that. And so he's telling this real story. And then he says this. He says, the guy gets mugged and he gets stripped. And then he beaten, and then beaten half to death. Now, why did he say that? By beaten half to death, that was a way in that time of saying knocked unconscious. You couldn't tell if he was alive unless you went up, felt his pulse, his heartbeat, or felt that he was breathing. So he was knocked unconscious and he was stripped. That's important because in that day and time, there was no social security cards. There was no driver's license or passports. The only way to identify somebody or the main ways to identify somebody was by their speech and by their wardrobe. So you could tell where somebody was from by the language they spoke. You could tell their socioeconomic status by the dialect of that language they spoke and or how many languages they spoke. And if you couldn't hear them, if you saw their wardrobe, you could see government official, you know, priest or, you know, lower class kind of riffraff. You could tell by what they were wearing. What Jesus is saying is there was no way to identify this man. So there was no way to know if you helped him, if he would later help you.
0: Okay. Now I'm going to give him three points, actual points. It's probably not going to undo the damage he's done already, but the reason I'm going to give him three points, clearly he's done a little bit of study, and he's trying to fill in some of the data so that we can have a good understanding of this parable, and the point he's brought up is is a decent point. So I'm going to give him three points for actually doing some homework. But again, he's confusing law and gospel, and already he's set it up in such a way that quorum deo, our inheritance before God, has to do with what we do. We continue.
3: ...would later help you. There was no way to know if you helped him, he would mark you because he's the scum of society. There was no way of knowing. He was the nameless, unidentifiable man. And then Jesus goes on to say, a priest walked by. Everybody say priest. 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 Now the priests of the day, they were the pastors. They were the speakers and the teachers of the law. They worked at the church. They were the pastors. And then it says a Levite walked by. Everybody say Levite. Yeah. A Levite Levites were the temple assistants in the old Testament. The Levites were the worship leaders. They were the ones that went out in front of the army and they would bang the cymbals and bang the drums and sing for the army to go into battle. So what Jesus is saying here is the pastor walked by and said, Mm-mm, Nope. Worship leader walked by said, Nope, not doing it. You know what he's saying? He could care less about your title. He could care less about the title. And this is why that's important. In the next three weeks, we're going to be passing by people every day that need compassion
0: and mercy. They- um, just for 3 weeks. Uh-huh. Sorry. More failing here. Um yeah, we're going to take away those 3 points that he just earned by giving some data and doing a little bit of homework. Yeah, this story has nothing to do with whatever Church by the Glades is doing for the next three weeks, and what Jesus is actually saying here doesn't apply for just three weeks. It applies for, like, all of your life. We continue in mercy. They need us to show compassion and mercy,
3: and at the least, bring them to home and safety and a Jesus that loves them, bring them into a church family that'll love on them. We are passing by people that need compassion and mercy, but so many of us are locked and loaded with these invite cards over these next three weeks, and we're going to pass by that barista, we're going to pass by our coworker, who we're going to pass by our fellow student, or our family member, and we're going to want to show compassion and mercy, but then we'll say this. I'm not the pastor. I'm not, I'm not like one of the, the church people. I'm not in full-time ministry. I'm not one of the worship leaders. They'll do that. Ooh. Jesus is saying, When you said yes to him, you entered full time ministry.
0: So if you don't take a stack of invite cards and hand them out to like the barista at Starbucks, you know, waiters and waitresses and the lady in the checkout stand at Walmart, well, you're well, you're just like the priest and the Levite who passed on the other side of the road. Unbelievably bad. We continue.
3: Full time ministry. And it's not about your title. Some of the the biggest things God's ever done in my life was before anyone ever called me pastor. Matter of fact, I don't get this right often, but I just started coming to church by the glades. It was like my third or fourth week. I was sitting right back here, fourth row in from the back. Right there, there's a lady in a jean jacket. Everybody look at her. I'm just kidding. She's like, I'm never coming back here. I was sitting right there in that seat. It's a blessed anointed seat. Just receive it. So I was sitting there and I looked to my right. And I see like, like a few seats over, there's these like four or five Haitian dudes just looking like straight hood. Like I can say this cause I know them now, but they were like, you know, like flat bill cocked to the side, like big white tee, you know, just like back. And I was like, okay. And then like, you know, it, you'll hear preachers say, God spoke to me. It's, it's not like God spoke to me, but you know, that little like nudge you get from the Holy Spirit, like you need to do something. Well, I look over at them. And As soon as I look over at them, I feel like the Holy Spirit was saying, talk to them. And I was like,
1: no, <laughs> no.
3: And I looked and I just, I, I, it was clear as day. I was like, you should talk to them. The service hadn't started yet. And then I get a text from the executive pastor here. Because I wasn't on staff yet. And I was trying to get to know the church a little bit. And Pastor Raul was like, hey, let's do lunch. And I'd already been to two services that morning. And I got a text from him. And I was like, yes, that's my way out. Thank you, Jesus. And so like, I get up before the service starts. I walk out those doors. And I'm walking around. And he's in one of these back parking spots. And every step I took, I felt like I was disobeying the Lord. You know that feeling? Like, literally, every step I took, I felt like I was just like, really, son? Really? I asked you just to talk to some people. You want me to bless you in your life, and you won't even obey me in something that small? You're ridiculous. Like, I just felt that as I was walking. Like, you are ridiculous.
0: Are are you sure you were actually hearing from the God of the Bible I and that you weren't just making stuff up, or maybe you're demonized? I mean, seriously, this doesn't sound at all like the God of the Bible. How do you know that was a direct revelation from God the Holy Spirit? Hmm? We continue. I am
3: nervous as anything. I'm just like, what in the world am I gonna say? Like, I'm like a goofy little awkward white boy. It's like, what's up, bro? Like, I didn't know what I should say. I had no idea. So I'm just sitting there, and then like, I'm I'm just wanting Pastor Dave to keep preaching. Like, give me the segue. Give me something. Just don't stop preaching. Like it's that Sunday when like, keep going. It's so good. And so like, I'm like just cheering him on, and then he prays and he says Amen, and we stand up, and I have no idea what to say. I'm just like, and he's wearing a Miami hat, so I just go. Miami! Like I just shouted a city <laughs> and, and the dude, he, he like turns and looks at me He's
0: like, hey <laughs> And then it was like one of the most awkward encounters So clearly this is an example of, um well, how Corey Fulfilled the uh, parable of the Good Samaritan Oh,
3: man He's like, hey <laughs> and then it was like one of the most awkward encounters that I was like, Hey man, my name's Corey. I'm kind of new here. And it turns out they were new. It was only their second week here. And we kind of connected. We got lunch later that week. And this is why that's significant. Cause I don't know if you guys saw that Haitian guy that was leading song one, his name's Bill. He was one of those guys right there in the back row. I don't know. I don't know if y'all guys, I don't know if you know, Jay true over in our student ministry. He was one of those guys there. I don't know if you know MVP, Victor, that guy with the dreads that's always rapping for us. He was connected to those guys there. One of those guys is in full-time youth ministry up in Lake Worth now. Another guy's running like a Christian student. Like God worked mightily, And every time I see them involved, I am so humbled to think God used a loser like me to connect them and to impact hundreds, if not thousands of people. But you know why that's convicting? Because you know how many Sundays, Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, I walk by people and God's nudging me and I'm like, no, I'm all right. But think about the impact they could have. If we would just stop and encourage, smile, be the awkward little white boy. Be like, what's up? Worst thing can do is be like, you're an awkward little white boy and keep walking. Like, I love how God uses it. It is not about the title. But then it says, it wasn't the pastor, it wasn't the, pre, it wasn't the worship leader. It's not about the title. But then it says, but the Samaritan. Everybody say Samaritan. Samaritan. Now the Samaritan, some of you may know this. Samaritans were like second class citizens. They were like scum to the Jewish people because they were half breeds Samaritans. When the Jews got conquered and they went to Babylon, there were some that stayed back in the nation of Samaria and they mixed with those residents there. And so they become, they became kind of half breeds. They were half Jewish. And so the Jewish people, when they came back, when the nation of Israel came back, they were like Jimmy Fallon, like, ew. you know, they're like, Oh, like Samaritans, like gross. Even in John chapter four, it said they weren't allowed to have any dealings with Samaritans. Like it was like against the law. They weren't supposed to interact with them. The Samaritan, that wasn't a title. That was a name society had given him. It was a a name of shame. It was a mark of shame on him. It was like saying, but the alcoholic showed compassion. Or, or, but the girl that sleeps with all the guys showed compassion. But the dude that's in debt up to his eyeballs showed compassion. But that divorced girl showed compassion. It was a label. It was a label. But you know what I love about Jesus here? He says, man, I don't care about your title. And I could care less about the label that God, that the world has put on you. I care less about the label. And see, we, some of us, we say, man, I can't show compassion. I can't show mercy. I can't extend them that invite card because I'm not the pastor. I don't have the... T- uh,
0: and, yeah. Again, what's this all about? Getting people to give an invite card to people. So basically, the parable of the Good Samaritan is all about uh, making sure that you give an invite card to somebody so they can come to your local mega church.
3: Wow the pastor i don't have the title well we're gonna get over that but then some of us say man i can't i can't extend it i can't show them mercy i can't show them compassion because because i'm the mess up i'm screwed up I've, I've been labeled you know what you've been labeled by god a son or daughter of the most high god you are more than a conqueror
0: you can do more than you could ever ask or imagine through jesus christ that's and now we get the joel osteen out of context bible verses as slogans slash affirmations <laughs> More points off. We continue. As it says,
3: he uh, he saw the guy, he picked him up, he he bandaged his wounds, he healed him, put him on his animal, brought him to an inn, brought him to safety, to a home, to an inn, and then he paid for him 2 nights stay, and then he said, hey, if he charges up a bill more, I'll come back and pay more. You know what that tells me? Before he could ever be the good Samaritan, he had to be a good steward. Before he could ever be a good... What? Oh, 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 oh. This is painful. Brought him to safety, to a home, to an inn, and then he paid for him two nights' stay, and then he said, Hey, if he charges up a bill more, I'll come back and pay more. You know what that tells me? Before he could ever be the Good Samaritan, he had to be a good steward. Before he could ever be a Good Samaritan, this means, but the fact that he had an animal, oil and wine, Those were expensive first aid kit items. Those weren't cheap, little normal things. And then the fact that they had an animal meant he had a mode of transportation. And then he went and paid for two night, three night stay with two denarii. That's like two days wages. That's like 100 to 300 US dollars. This dude had enough money to be generous. He had to be a good steward before he could be a good Samaritan. This is why this is significant. Like this last summer, we we held up this blue envelope and we were like, change the world offering. If you want to change the world, we want to start a feeding program in our orphanage. We want to launch a fourth campus. If you want to do this, join in. And a lot of you look back at us like, you're nuts. Because like USA Today came out with this poll a few weeks ago. And they said 34% of Americans right now are receiving calls from debt collectors. Like they're in debt so much so that debt collectors are calling them. And then it ranked it by the states. And guess what? Florida's one of the worst. And it said 45% of Floridians are receiving calls from debt collectors. That's almost one in two. So I want you to look at your neighbor right now and say, I'm not in debt. Now I want you to look back at your neighbor and say, You lie. Don't lie in church. And like, that's staggering to me that one in two of us, when we held up that blue envelope and said give, we were like, You're insane. Where do you want me to give from? How in the world do you want me to do this? And this is such an issue and such a problem in our in our country, in our state, in our church that we, we're doing this church-wide on uh, September 13th and 14th. We are launching church-wide Dave Ramsey's financial peace. Anybody know who Dave Ramsey is? <sighs>
0: seriously now so what we see in the parable of the good samaritan is hey he couldn't have been as helpful as he was if he wasn't a good steward of his money so by the way in september we're having dave ramsey's financial peace seminar so you can come and be like the good samaritan we continue
3: dave ramsey's financial peace anybody know who dave ramsey is yeah like that dude's a financial genius well he's got this course called financial peace university it's a nine-week course and it teaches you how to be a good steward with your money. We've had family after family go through this. We've had business professionals, doctors go through this. We've had a lot of people go through it. So much so that before we offered it churchwide, we started kind of doing our research. And we were talking to some of the families that have gone through this. We asked them to write in their story. Was it successful? How did it work? And we have been inundated, like inbox flooded with people just shouting out their success story. And I want to share one of them that, uh, that got emailed to me of a family just like these were these were business owners in our in our church family
0: so now you're going to share a dave ramsey financial peace university success story as part of your exegesis of the good samaritan Th- this is unbelievable
3: in our church family it was donnie and jan king like some of you may know them and they wrote in their story and it says she wrote the wife she said if there is a financial mistake to make
0: cue sappy music and i'm taking points off for that that's a, an emotional manipulation technique to create the false impression that god the holy spirit is now descending on the church to help people make decisions to do something
3: we've probably made it we reached financial rock bottom in 2009 eighty thousand dollars plus on credit cards both jobless and ineligible for unemployment no insurance two young kids one with special needs then the irs mistakenly levied our only checking account, overdrawing it the day before all the bill checks tried to clear, and we were literally penniless. It was scary with a capital S. I remember my 25-cent moment, not having a sun pass yet. I had a pot of quarters in the car for tolls. Going through them, I scraped together just enough money to buy milk and baby food for the day. It was a low moment, and I began searching until I placed my trust in the one who can do all things and asked Christ into my heart as my Savior. I was baptized at church by the glades, and a month later, my husband said yes to Jesus. From there, we heard about Financial Peace University and dove in, learning biblical financial principles, volunteering to help the following season. It was amazing. Our lives have been completely transformed by Jesus. It is all his now, and we submit and are obedient and tithing, cheerfully giving offerings. We celebrated becoming completely debt-free last year.
0: We are still... So the parable of the Good Samaritan is about tithing, too.
1: Uh-huh. <laughs>
3: burden lifted off my shoulders. When I turned everything over to the Lord, financial peace is a piece of what I pray for everyone to be blessed with. I read that because like, like $80,000 in debt, that wasn't including their mortgage, $80,000 in debt, business owners, like, like sometimes you got to hit rock bottom to look up they I mean, $80,000 in debt and three and a half years later, completely debt-free They are some of the most generous people in our church. And now this course, like, I read that and some of you were like, oh my gosh, they're at the same place we are. Some of you, I read that and you're like, at least I'm not that bad, you know? I hope it encouraged you in some way. But what I love is like this course, by the way, we as a church family, it it does have a fee because we believe you got to have some skin in the game if you're really going to do it and financial peace, they, they pay for it. You get half off if you do it through the church, but it's like $99 for nine weeks. So it's like $11 a week. That's like a few coffees a week. And uh, we get none of that money as a church family. But I asked this family, I was like, was the hundred bucks worth it? And like, how did you pay it? You were eighty thousand dollars in debt. And they said, We found the hundred dollars and we don't owe eighty thousand dollars anymore. That's easy math, it was definitely worth it. If you don't understand that math, we have another class for you, it's at Glades Christian Academy. We'll get you in a basic math,
0: <laughs> but guys. Before some of us can be the good Samaritans. Now, have you heard anything correctly handled in this text? Not really. Um, wow. And just by the way, Church by the Glades, one of the premier seeker driven multi site megachurches in the country. Uh huh. Are they teaching sound doctrine? Are they proclaiming Christ and Him crucified for our sins? Are they rightly handling God's word? Not on your life. This is absolutely miserable. We continue.
3: We'll set you up for a phenomenal future. And the whole church, we're going through it. The staff, we're going through it right now. We're on week four. I love what God is doing in and through our church family because we want to see God move and we want to be those good neighbors and those good Samaritans. But the last thing I see here, I was reading this story. Like, you ever wake up in the middle of the night and you can't sleep? I mean, I did that. Read your Bible next time that happens. Like, God will just speak to you. It's interesting. I woke up in the middle of the night. It was like 3.30. I couldn't go back to sleep. It was last week. And I knew I was going to teach on this passage. And I pulled out my iPhone, opened up YouVersion, and I started reading it. And I asked myself the question, what exactly made the Good Samaritan the Good Samaritan? What did the Good Samaritan do? And it says, the Good Samaritan saw a guy that was half dead, broken, beat up, helpless. It says he picked him up, it says he bandaged his wounds and he healed him. And then it says he transported him where he could never take himself. He transported him to safety, to a home. And then it says he, he paid the debt he could never pay. And then it said he was coming back for him. You know what hit me for the first time ever in my life? Jesus is the good Samaritan. Jesus is the good Samaritan.
0: All right. Finally, he figured it out. It's about Jesus. Jesus with literally less than three minutes to go in the sermon he figured out it's jesus that the, is the good samaritan finally i'll give him three points for figuring it out right at the end we continue is the good samaritan
3: jesus is the good samaritan because check this when we're lost, dead, broken in our sin, helpless and dead in our sin, he picks us up. He bandages the wounds that life has left on us. That are, He heals us from it. Then he transports us where we can never go on our own. He takes us to safety. He takes us to a home. Then he pays the debt that we can never pay. And then he loves us so much, he said he's coming back for us. He's not leaving us. Jesus was talking about himself. He said, I am the good neighbor. I am the good Samaritan. I love you so much. And then the last word was the most important word. And I want you guys to read this last verse with me. It says, the lawyer looked back at him. And Jesus asked him, who do you think was the good neighbor? And he said, the last one, the Samaritan. And then Jesus said this, and I want you to read these words with me. And Jesus said to him, you and likewise, read it again, you and Likewise, One more time, like you mean it, you go and do likewise. That's the last word for us as Church by the Glades today, that we would go and that we would do likewise. We all need to go and show compassion and mercy because people need to be brought home and brought to safety and brought to Jesus Christ. We all need to be the best stewards possible of all that God has given us, and some of us, some of us, We're that beat-up, bruised person. Life has left us hopeless. And today, let Jesus be your neighbor. Let Jesus be your good Samaritan. I'm going to pray, and when I say amen, if you're that guy that you feel like you're laying broken and hopeless, that woman that's just lost it all, we're going to have some people up here at the front. They'll introduce you to the ultimate good Samaritan. Guys, it's going to be an incredible fall. We have... Two weeks, six days, 22 hours, 59 minutes, and 10 seconds to give God all the glory over these next three weeks. Are we ready? Father God, we th-
0: Okay, yeah, sorry you don't get to pray. Well, that was uh, quite the mismatch, wasn't it, for a Sermon Cage fight? One man who knew how to properly handle the text, knew the proper distinction of law and gospel, and made sure not to mess up Corum Deo and Corum Mundo... And then Corey, um, who, well, let's figure out what his points were. Uh, The negative points were 5, 10, 15, 20, uh, 25, 30, 35, 40, 45, 50, 55, 60, 65 negative points, three positive points, so a grand total. He was in the hole, negative 62 points. Uh Uh-huh. And one of these men... Everybody in the church needs to be hearing pastors like him, and the other guy, um, well, he's in a megachurch, a multi site, and nobody should be hearing him because he doesn't know how to rightly handle the text, doesn't know the proper distinction of long gospel, and literally made it sound like our right standing before God is based upon what we do, which is completely to biff long gospel and make it sound like our righteous standing before God is achieved by our works. So we messed up Coram Deo. Wow, what a mess. Talk about a mismatch. What did you think? I'd love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, Facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or follow me on Twitter. My name there at